May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. From John. Now among those who went up to worship at the festival were some Greeks. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and put forth this request. Please, we, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the chosen one to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Those who love their life lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever wants to work for me must follow me, and where I am, there will my worker be also. Anyone who works for me, the Abba God will honor. Now, my soul is troubled. And what should I say? Abba, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Well, friends, about once a year, usually in February, the thought occurs to me that it's a good thing that we here in Minnesota get to celebrate Ash Wednesday in the dark evenings of winter. There's something that feels right and fitting celebrating this intimate, vulnerable ritual in which we confess our mortality while seeking the comfort and courage of knowing that in life and death we belong to God. There's something that feels right about doing that in the dark of night and in the cold of winter. And at a Wednesday service where those who really want to engage with that story can opt into it, it would be odd to try to explore that on, say, the first bright, sunny, spring has sprung feeling type of day of the year. But here we are. And here's this parable from Jesus about the grain of wheat that falls to the earth and dies and then, only then, brings forth new life. Well, this sermon is going to explore that strange dynamic here, even on so beautiful of a morning. Well, stick with me here. We will get to a place of warmth and compassion at the end. But it's going to begin with what feels like an uncomfortable recognition to me as someone who spends a lot of my days trying to preach a gospel of hope. And that is the recognition that sometimes... Hope itself can be harmful. At least it can be harmful when it is not grounded in reality and in solidarity. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, truth be told, this is a dynamic that I've been wrestling with for years as a young pastor who's spent a lot of time in youth and justice ministry settings. I've led a lot of workshops forums, events, panels, and the likes. 
that seek to review the big, complex challenges of our time and ask ourselves, how do we respond? And when there are youth involved especially in leading the conversation, without fail, we inevitably hear the phrase, you young people give us hope. Or if the youth aren't present, we typically hear another version which sounds something like, oh, I really wish we could bring the youth into the conversation next time. They just give us so much hope. And I'll say from the top here, the youth give me hope as well, but they also give me a kick in the pants to get into action. Because here's the thing, our young folks do not want hope if it does not come hand in hand with change. And too often when we say, you young people give us hope, what comes across is, this problem is now your problem. Thank you for letting me sleep more soundly at night. But don't take my word for it. I invite us to hear this clip from Gretchen Thunberg, who was asked to speak at the United Nations Climate Summit in 2019. This is all wrong. I shouldn't be up here. I should be back in school on the other side of the ocean. Yet you all come to us young people for hope. How dare you? You have stolen my dreams and my childhood with your empty words. And yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering, people are dying, entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you're doing enough when the politics and solutions needed are still nowhere in sight. You say you hear us and that you understand the urgency. But no matter how sad and angry I am, I do not want to believe that. Because if you really understood the situation and still kept on failing to act, then you would be evil, and that I refuse to believe. So I want to let the weight of her words and her feelings hang here in the air for a moment. This is a hard dynamic to face. When hope is hollow, when it is filled with cheap words and inaction rather than honest engagement with the situation at hand, then hope, or that cheap imitation of hope, it does more harm than good because it invites us to set aside our discomfort, our urgency, and rest in some far-off solution that we aren't earnestly working to achieve. Hope that provides relief to our discomfort 
at the expense of our resolve to change, that is not true hope. That is denial. That is avoidance. Dressed up to look and sound like hope. And what Gretchen knows is that the way forward requires us to let go of of any pie-in-the-sky hopes that are not grounded in an honest acceptance with the fact that we are recklessly consuming a planet that has finite resources and a fragile balance of life. There simply are some things, some practice and beliefs that must truly die in order for us to begin making honest progress in the, thing, in the face of something as big as the climate crisis. What we need is not hope, but courage and resolve to take seriously the reality that is at hand. Gretchen knows this, and thus the source of her anger and frustration here about the insistence of hope that is not bound hand in hand with action. Greta knows this, and Jesus knows this too in this morning's passage. We find Jesus here near the climax of his notoriety and influence. Having made waves throughout the region, even the Greeks now, which is to say even the Gentiles who are not a part of Jesus' faith tradition, even those from the outside are knocking on the walls to come and see who is this person this new inspiring teacher that is pointing to life and liberation and justice and this love of God that is present enough to be born in solidarity with all of us. In the midst of Jesus' meteoric rise, the disciples are rushing forward to share the excitement. Look, even the Greeks, even those outside our tradition are showing up wanting to get a glimpse of you, wanting a piece of your story. Truly, says Jesus, the hour has come for the incarnate one to be glorified. This is the hour. And then Jesus shares this parable. Truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains but a single grain. But if it dies, it may bear much fruit. This could not have been what the disciples had in mind when they were picturing the hour of Jesus' triumphant glory. But here Jesus reminds us of the startling fact that God's ways are not our ways. That our vision for divine power is so often far away from the true power of love shown by God in Christ, the power to give one's self away. See, grains of wheat, like virtually all seeds, have this thick outer wall called the seed coat that, when conditions are right, will crack, will open, will break, will die away so that a true journey of transformation can begin. Dying, then sprouting, then blooming and bearing fruit into the world, and in time, new seeds to repeat the process. Until such a death and transformation can take place, seeds and grains lie dormant in waiting. 
For Jesus, this parable has very real and visceral meanings. Events have been set into motion. Powers and principalities are being confronted and challenged by the message of the gospel. And in the Roman Empire, there is no room for one who speaks such courageous truth to power. Jesus knows the path on which he walks. But rather than avoid his mortality... He names it. Moreover, he accepts it and still courageously chooses life, love, justice, and truth, even if that means letting go of his chance at a long, comfortable life. Now, friends, we are not Jesus, but we are called to follow Jesus and to look at him for our own courage and calling. We are not gods. We cannot always do all things. That is why it is important that we celebrate a season like this, the season of Lent, or a ritual like this, an Ash Wednesday, in which we name and confront our reality of our our mortality. We name that in life and death we belong to God, that we come from the earth, that we are inextricably bound to the earth on which we live and move and breathe, and that, yes, in time we shall die and return to the earth. And all the while, in life and death, we belong to God. In a society that is heck-bent on peddling messages of hope, In unlimited growth at all times and at all costs, we need this rooting reminder that we indeed are mortal, that the earth itself is mortal and vulnerable, and that unlimited growth and consumption is not realistic. It is a lie. It is not something that we can place our trust in. Jesus hints at this, the very anxiety behind this notion at the end of our passage where he says, my soul is troubled, but what should I say? God save me from this hour? Technology save us from this hour one day? Capitalism and consumption? Can we consume our way to a healthy relationship with the, with the planet? No. Jesus says, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. I have come to face this head on, to accept even mortality, and then to find courage to keep going. The good news is that there is hope in letting go. It's just on the other side of that letting go. And friends, it is okay to let go of things that need to die. We don't have to fear life with less. We don't have to fear sacrifice There are ways of experiencing growth 
that involve living with less and not more. Sometimes, in fact, the only way toward new life, toward health, and to hope is by letting something go that we would rather not and that we really, truly feel fear. This is a truth that has resonated personally in my life, and it may, for any of you who have been connected to Alcoholics Anonymous and that wonderful prayer, the serenity prayer, God, grant me the serenity to accept those things that I cannot change, the courage to change those things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. This is a prayer that, unfortunately, I didn't encounter until seminary, but I could have used it a lot earlier in my life. I spent years growing up and struggling with my dad's own alcoholism, not knowing how to face this terrible thing that seemed impossible of changing. And yet I wanted so badly to see change, and to see him change, and to see him want to change. I wanted that change so badly that I hoped and prayed for it time and time again. And the hard thing is that change never came. And eventually, the disappointment and the harm that came from hoping and not seeing change, from hoping and not seeing change, it became too much to bear. It was too hard to hold on to. And despite the fact that I did not have much in the way of spiritual or emotional resources at the time, I remember one day, praying, speaking something to God, saying, I I can't hope for this anymore. I can't pray for this anymore. If my dad is going to change, if there is hope for that, God, I need to hand it over to you because I'm too exhausted from carrying this hope and not seeing any evidence of change. In that moment, hard as that moment was, hard as the realities that shaped that moment, In that moment, I felt relief and peace because I was accepting that here was something that I could not change and that perhaps my dad in his state was not even capable of changing himself. I could not hold on to that hope any longer without harming myself, and so I handed it over to God. In doing so, I found acceptance for the reality that my dad was an alcoholic. And then I found some courage and commitment to say, my dad's an alcoholic and I'm going to love him for who he is, even though he may never change. It doesn't mean that everything was always easy. But in acknowledging that reality, that vulnerability, that mortality, I took on a healthy relationship with my dad and a healthier relationship to hope. Sadly, he never changed. Like many alcoholics, 
recovery was not a part of his story. But I spent the next 10 or so years learning how to better love, accept, and embrace the man who was both my father and someone who was trapped in the spiral of alcoholism. He didn't change. It didn't, get all, it didn't all get better. There was no miracle. But there was acceptance, there was courage, and in time there was love, there was healing, there was even some measure of peace. Not because I overlooked or ignored that reality, but because I began practicing acceptance. This is this bold but very hard truth that our society around us does not want to reckon with or name. We are mortal, we are vulnerable, and some things don't have easy solutions that can come about by new technology or by just trying harder. There are some things that we have to let go. There are some times when hope that is not grounded in reality can harm us if we don't find some means of acceptance, of courage, and of serenity. There is some real wisdom here in that journey of acceptance and courage that applies to all of those big complicated problems that we are wrestling with, whether we are talking about climate change or racism or just the societal everything that we seem to be dealing with in spades these years. In fact, if you want to explore what this path of serenity may look like specifically in the face of climate change, I invite you to join our adult education um, on April 3rd, where we will view and discuss a wonderful piece called the New Serenity Prayer, specifically how to balance acceptance and courage in the face of climate change, knowing that there are some paths that we are already walking down that may now be unavoidable, and that some cheap hope solutions are simply not going to work. Now, if that feels a little discomfort, but also a little intriguing, I invite you to join us April 3rd, Adult Ed, 9.15. See your email for more details. The good news is that there is hope on the other side of courage and acceptance. When acceptance is paired with courage and calling, what we find is not so much resignation. What we find is resolve that resolve that Jesus carried. Yes, hope that provides relief to our discomfort at the expense of our resolve to change. Yes, that can be harmful. I would argue that it's not sincere hope. But hope that provides relief to our discomfort through the courage of accepting those things that we cannot change and the determination to change those things that we can, then hope can blossom and bloom in a way that is true and biblical and that is 
often hard won. God, grant us the serenity to accept those things we cannot change, the courage to change those things we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. That, I do believe, is a hope worth hoping for and a calling worth caring for, hard as it may be to face and to name even here amongst trusted friends. So may God grant us just that right mix of courage, comfort, and discomfort. And may we find that serenity. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.